Amen, amen. Let's do this. Oh, nice table and chairs up here. How's everybody doing this morning? Some of you are good. I'm great. Any day I can preach is a great day. So, unless you've been living under a rock or it's your first time here, uh, we've been doing this series on David. And I don't know about you, but it's been an absolutely incredible series. Seven weeks on the life of David, and, and I feel like we're just getting started. We're just scratching the surface. But unfortunately, it comes to an end today. But I would encourage you to pick up your Bible, if you're not doing so already, and, and read more about this guy's life. This is a man who was after God's own heart. He wasn't a perfect man, but a man after God's own heart. And that's what it says in Acts 13. God says this about David. In Acts 13, he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything that I want him to do. That's incredible. God found David. See, God's always looking. He's always searching. He's always seeking. He's always knocking at the door of our hearts, it says in Revelation. But see, just like we just sang, God is a good God. He doesn't force us. He pursues us, yes, with reckless abandon. And he'll chase you down with an intensity that you can't experience from anything or anyone else. But he'll never force you to turn to him. See, that's part of his nature. That's what makes him such a good father. He always gives us choices. In the garden, when he created the garden, it was God who created two trees. Adam and Eve had the choice to either turn to God or to turn away from him. And they made their choice. It's the same thing with us. He gives us a choice. He's a good God. We can either follow him or turn the other way. See, God's the very definition of love. God is love. And true love cannot be forced. See, his love for us wants that same love from us, but he gives us a choice whether or not to return his love that he pours down on us. Am I making any sense? This is an interactive message. I need you to re respond. We'll get there. See, God's always looking for men and women that are after his own heart, just like David. He's seeking, he's searching. See, because here's the thing, if God has your whole heart, like not a part of your heart, not half of your heart, but if he has the entire thing, every dark corner given over to him, then he can do unbelievable things in and through you. You want to change your life? Change your heart. You want to change your marriage? Change your heart. You want to change your family? Say it with me. Change your heart. You want to change your neighborhood? Change your heart. You want to change your city? Change your heart. You want to change generations? Change your heart. See, I think that we are so focused on our immediate circumstances. We tend to pray to God just for things in our immediate situations and circumstances when God is far more concerned with who we're becoming. God is far more concerned with the condition of our hearts than our circumstances. See, everything starts with our hearts. So this morning, I would ask you, don't worry about the heart next to you. Don't worry about your husband's heart. Don't worry about your, your wife's heart. Don't worry about your friend's heart. Don't worry about your children's heart. In this moment, 
whether you're listening on the podcast or here this morning, worry about the only heart that you can control, your heart. And in this moment, God's going to speak to you. The Spirit is stirring in your heart. Let's just take a moment to pray before we get started. And if you would, just put your hand on your heart. Sometimes we have to do something in the physical to get there in the spiritual. This is, there's nothing magic about this, but we're just going to pray over our hearts. Jesus, thank you for the hearts that are listening to your voice this morning. God, would you just wreck our hearts today? Would you just break our hearts? We pray, God, as David prayed in Psalm 51, the psalm that he wrote after he screwed up. The psalm that he wrote after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. The psalm he wrote after he murdered Uriah, her husband. Father, we pray these same words to you from our heart to your heart. We pray, create in us a clean heart, God. Would you renew a loyal and a faithful spirit within us? Father, would you unseal our lips that our mouth may praise you, but let it flow from our heart to our lips. God, you don't desire a sacrifice or else we would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire, Jesus, is a broken heart a wrecked spirit. And you will not reject a repentant heart, a broken heart. And all the wrecked hearts and all the broken hearts and all the listening hearts and all the ready hearts in this place today said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Let it be so. It all starts with our hearts. Wouldn't it be great if it could be said of us, if God would write about us what he wrote about David, that he found us and that we were people that were after his own heart. We're going to kind of fly over the life of David at 30,000 feet today and every once in a while kind of drop in, parachute in, if you will, on some specific stories in his life, some of which we've already touched on in this series, some that we haven't. But bear with me, we're all coming to one conclusion, to one point. But the verse that I want to actually hang this entire message on was written by David's son, Solomon. And if you remember, Solomon was the result of David's mess up. He was the result of David's adultery with Bathsheba, the result of David's murder of Uriah. Solomon came out of that. And how many people know that we serve a God that both redeems and restores? Anybody? How many people know that we serve a God that redeems and restores? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, starting in verse 3, says this from the NLT. It says, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend or do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him or seek, your, seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you the steps to take, the path to take. I love verse 3 in the message, which is the verse we're going to focus on the most this morning, but in the message it says this, don't lose your grip on love and loyalty. 
tie them around your neck, carve their initials on your heart. See, we have to make sure, listen to me, we have to make sure that everything we do that both enters and exits our heart goes through the doorways of both love and loyalty. But what does that mean? And how do we get there? How do we develop this heart of love and loyalty? How do we sustain this heart that chases after God? You know, we've been talking a lot about the differences between Saul and David. And you know what's very interesting is King Saul started with a good heart. We, remember, we tend to remember all the bad things that Saul did, but he started with a good heart. The problem was he couldn't sustain a good heart. He simply wasn't able to guard his heart. Solomon said this too. He said, guard your heart for out of it is the wellspring of life. It's the most important thing to guard. I remember that Israel, before King Saul, they were uh, governed by prophets who would be the voice of God to them. And at that time, Israel was looking around, and they saw all the other nations around them had kings. And they said, we want to be just like all the other cool kids. We want to have a king for ourselves. And so they demanded to Samuel the prophet, and they demanded to God, give us a king. And God, being the good father that he is, let them make their choice. And God gave them a king. And God instructed the prophet Samuel to anoint Saul as king. And in 1 Samuel 10, verse 9, it says this, God gave Saul a new heart. The father gave Saul a new heart. Saul had a good heart. He was humble in the beginning. So much so, he was hiding in the baggage, if you remember the story. He was a warrior. He had a heart after God. God gave him a brand new heart, but he couldn't keep his heart in place. He couldn't guard his heart. He didn't tie love and loyalty around his neck. He didn't write faithfulness and kindness on his heart. And Saul ends up disobeying God once and then twice. And the second time, the prophet Samuel told him, listen, Saul, Obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. Rebellion, which is what you are doing, Saul, is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, Saul, he has rejected you as king. Somebody needs to hear that today. To listen to the voice of God. Obey instantly the voice of God. See, the problem is that if your heart and my heart are not soft, if those words from the Father God are not going through the doorways of love and loyalty in your heart, then you are literally deaf to God's voice. That's why the condition of our heart is so important. And Saul could not sustain a heart after God. He started well, but he couldn't finish well. And then, of course, while Saul was still king, God directs the prophet Samuel to anoint David, the little shepherd boy, as king. And we know that story. And while he was anointed king at a very young age, it would be years and years before he was actually appointed king. Remember David and Goliath? David kills Goliath as, as that young boy. And Saul made David a commander in his army. 
And he, he was the most popular guy in the whole nation. He was a rock star to Israel. And the women of the land, they ended up making a song because David was, uh, was bringing his troops into battle and they were winning victory after victory. He was faithfully serving the King Saul and faithfully serving his King Jesus. And so the women of the land, they made up this song. And how many people know that whatever song the women are singing is a very powerful song? That's a whole other message. So the women are singing this song, and they're saying, Saul, yeah, he's killed his thousands, but, but my boy David, he's killed his tens of thousands. And the king Saul, he's hearing this. Think about that. His heart's just disobeyed God twice. What do you think that opened up his heart to? Jealousy. One small seed of jealousy developed a root system and infected Saul's heart. It's so dangerous to let just one small bad seed in, whether it's jealousy or envy or lust or anger, whatever it is. That's why Solomon says, guard your heart. Your life depends on it. And for Saul, jealousy became anger. Anger became hatred. And hatred became an outright obsession to murder David in broad daylight. One small seed of jealousy infecting his heart. Did you know that Saul spent somewhere between 10 to 13 years trying to kill David? 10 to 13 years, obsessed like a madman, hunting down David like a wild animal, all because of his heart condition. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. But see, Saul forgot. Saul forgot that the most important kingdom, listen to me, the most important kingdom to reign over is the kingdom of your heart. And Saul did everything in his power to protect his external kingdom, but he forgot that the most important kingdom that there is that you will ever be given in this lifetime is the internal kingdom. You want to build God's kingdom? I hope so. You're in church today. You all came. You should be. Heaven's falling to earth, and it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to advance the kingdom of God to take new ground, to enlarge our tent, to, to, to take new space against the kingdom of darkness. We're in a battle. I don't know if you know it or not. But if you want to build God's kingdom, then you better get one thing right. It's the foundation for everything. And that's right here. That is your internal kingdom, your heart condition. You've got to have that right first. That has to be the foundation on which everything else is built in your life. So here's David, and he's hiding in the wilderness. And maybe you feel like today, like you're on the run. Like David, you're hiding in the wilderness. You've been anointed. You know that God's given you a destiny in your life, but you feel like you're going literally the opposite direction from where God has promised that you're going to go. If you read the Psalms, I, I know David second-guessed his anointing. 
in those 10 to 13 years. I know it. But here's the thing. If God has spoken, then God has spoken. The promises of God are always what? Yes and amen. That's what 1 Corinthians says. And it's hard for us in this microwave, drive-through, instantaneous culture to understand the time frame of God. See, God's not bound by time and space. And there's always, 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 always a process from the anointing to the appointing. Somebody needs to hear this today. There are no shortcuts. And the process, like Joseph found out, always goes from the prison to the palace, not the other way around. So you don't get to go to the, to the promised land without going through the wilderness first. Sometimes <laughs> how long you stay there is up to you. That's a whole nother message. 10 to 13 years of someone trying to kill you will make you a great leader. The next time you ask God to promote you, watch out. Just remember, there's always a process. So on this particular day, David and his men, they're, they're on the run in the mountains, and they end up hiding in this cave. It's David and his band of 400 men, and they're, they're running from Saul, and Saul is a crazy madman obsessed with nothing else than finding David and killing him. And Saul's got 3,000, not just ordinary troops, but 3,000 elite men, like rangers with him, trying to find David. And they're chasing David through the mountainous region. It's a great story. Can't go into all the details. But this one day, it's in the middle of the day, and Saul's getting tired. It's hot out, and they walk by the entrance to this cave. And Saul goes, guys, since I'm the king, I'm a little tired. I'm going to take a power nap in the cool cave for just a moment. So he ducks in the cave, and probably, you know, he had his kingly robe on, probably a servant took his robe off of him, and he laid down in the cool of the entrance of the cave, and they probably laid it over his feet like as a blanket. What Saul didn't know was that further back in the cave in the darkness where he couldn't see because he was blinded by the light of the entrance, David was in that same cave with his 400 men. And they had to be shocked when the guy that's pursuing them comes in there, lays down, and takes a nap. And David's men, they whisper to David, David, dude, did you see who just walked in the cave? This is the day. God's given you the opportunity. This is it. David, you're going to be king by like the end of the week, maybe the end of today. All we got to do is go up there and kill him. Nobody's guarding it. They're just guarding the outside of the cave. They have no idea we're here. This is so easy. God's favor is upon you today, David. Just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean that it's from God. Just because the majority tell you to do it doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. See, well-meaning people will tell you that it's God's will. How many people know that those men that were with David, they were like the most well-meaning guys on the planet. I mean, we named our men's group after them. Those 37, those, those 400, they were it. Like, they were leaving their families too. They were on the run for 10 to 13 years. These guys are dedicated 
And so David, listening to the voices of his men, crept forward in the darkness. And I can only imagine what was going through his heart and mind in that moment. I mean, so many years of being wrongly accused. Have you ever been wrongly accused? Publicly slandered? Have you ever wanted to clear your name and your reputation to get even, to get justice? I mean, this is the guy, King Saul, that David has faithfully served loyally for years, and all he gets is spears thrown at him and chased literally around the region, running for his life. And from a human perspective, David was certainly justified if he had just taken his sword and plunged it deep into Saul's heart. He could have ended it all that day. His reign for king could have been lengthened to what it was. But it's so important. See, God has anointed each one of us to do something. There's a destiny, there's a call in every one of our lives. But it's so important that we allow God to appoint us in his timing. It's absolutely crucial that we allow God to promote us and we not promote ourselves. See, it's all about the heart condition. And you and I are either seeking the stage or we're seeking the Savior. There's no middle ground. And at that moment, David put himself on the stage and he listened to the voice of the crowd over the voice of his father. And he sneaks forward and he's just messing with Saul at this point and he takes his sword and cuts off a corner of that royal robe that Saul was wearing. The symbol of his kingship. The symbol of the very thing that David was anointed to become. But I love this. As soon as he does it, like right after he does it, his heart reaches out and just slaps him in the face. 1 Samuel 24, verse 5, And afterward, David's heart struck him. <laughs> Doesn't get any more clear than that. Because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. See, David didn't have a perfect heart. He messed up. But he had a ready heart. He had a listening heart. He had a broken heart. And when his head told him to get vengeance, and when his hand reached out to cut off the corner of the robe, and possibly even more that day, it was his heart that pulled him back. He knew the truth. Loyalty and love were written deep inside of his heart, and those things won the day. And he turned to his men and he said, God forbid that I should do this, because they were about to kill him. There's no doubt. God forbid that I should do this to the Lord, my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men, who I'm sure were chomping at the bit, and did not let them kill Saul. You want to know the evidence of a heart after God? Instant obedience. Not just obedience, instant obedience obedience, feet that turn immediately and start stepping after Jesus. And you might be here this morning or listening on the podcast and, and saying, Chris, great story, but how does that relate to me? I don't live in a cave. I don't have some crazy king chasing me down to kill me. It's a great question. 
Who have you raised your sword against? Who have you stabbed in the back? Whose robe have you cut off? Maybe you thought it was innocent. No such thing. Maybe you've cut off someone's robe over social media. Or maybe you've cut off someone's robe behind their back. Or maybe you've just cut off somebody's robe in your heart. Any way you slice it, that's murder. That's what Jesus said anyway. Jesus said it this way, you've heard it said you must not murder, but I say with you that if you are even angry with someone, if you even call somebody an idiot, it's the same as murder. See, your anger, your envy, your bitterness, whether that's just some small seed, just cutting off the corner of a robe, your resentment, your jealousy, is murder in your heart. Jesus also went on to say, he said, you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say whoever looks at a woman and lusts after her has already committed adultery in his heart. It all starts in our hearts. The other day, Friday night, we were, uh, had my family with me, we driving and uh, had to pick up something at Schnucks real quick, just a couple items right down here on University. And so we pulled in, and I'm, uh, Benny was going to go in the store with me. We run in, get a couple items, and leave the girls in the car. And I pull in, look for a close parking spot. And this guy, in the first two spots, he's double parked. He's taking up two spaces. And I can't remember exactly what I said, something like, look at that tool. Or look at that idiot to Heather. And of course, what did I do? I pulled into the spot next to him, and I took up two spots. <laughs> Seems logical. And as, we were, as I was getting out of the vehicle, Heather said, did somebody leave a note on, the, on his vehicle? And sure enough, I walked around back with Benny, and as soon as I saw the note, I'm like, oh, don't look at that, Benny. <laughs> like, there was a nice love letter from somebody that somebody had taken the time to write. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like how much hatred is in that person's heart to stop and write this love note to this person and tell him how much of an idiot he is and bleepity bleep bleep blap he is. I'm like, wow, I wouldn't do something like that. So I walk in the store, get a few items, come back out five minutes later, and I got a different perspective of the vehicle. I was walking towards it now, and I saw that the back, uh, pass, or the back driver tire was completely flat. Probably that person had pulled in off Glen, had limped their vehicle in, and had taken two spots because they didn't want to be next to the curb when they went to change it. Different perspective. And as I walked by that love note again, I grabbed it from there and thought, well, no one needs to read this. And I took it home and threw it away. But as I was driving home, I remembered what I was preaching on. It might as well have been me that wrote the note. I'm the one that called him an idiot. Jesus said I murdered him in my heart. 
one small seed, that's all it takes to start a train wreck in your heart. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. So how do we get this loyalty and love? How do we get this, grow this loyalty and kindness? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. We learn love and loyalty from our Father. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because He first loved us. In other words, the only reason that we are capable of love, the only reason we can understand what love is, is because He first loved us. We cannot understand what it is until we've experienced it for ourselves. We cannot tie kindness around our necks until we've experienced the kindness of the Father for ourselves. We cannot write love deep within our hearts until we've experienced the love of the Father for ourselves. I'm not talking about a salvation experience. I'm talking about experiencing the love of your Father. See, Galatians 1.15 says this, Before I was born... God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. That's you, that's me. Before you were anything, God called you all out. He set you apart. He chose you by his marvelous and magnificent grace. He chose you, and then your father leaned down towards you, and he breathed his breath into you. And your lungs filled up with the Spirit of God. That is grace. That is the kindness. That is the loyalty. That is the faithfulness of God. See, you can't earn his love. You don't deserve his love. You just get his love for you being you. You just receive it because you are made in his image. You receive his love because he first loved you. You're an image bearer of the most high God. And Solomon is saying, don't let that go. Like, that is the love. That is the kindness that is extended to you. And it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2.4 says, Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you know what repentance is? Repentance is a change in the inner man. It is a change of heart. Repentance is the fact that you are walking your own way. You're going your own path. And then you experience the kindness and the love and the grace and the goodness of God, your Father being poured out in your life. And you stopped walking your own way. And you turned toward Jesus 180 degrees and you started walking after him. That's repentance. See, here's the thing. You cannot walk two directions. You're either walking one or the other. A few weeks ago, I was flying into Buffalo, New York. And I'd never flown into Buffalo before. And our plane was on final approach. It was a beautiful day out, and we're flying over Lake Erie. And in the distance, I could see Lake Ontario. And I could see the river that drains Lake Erie into Lake Ontario. You know it. It's called the Niagara River. But halfway up the river is what caught my eye. Halfway up the river from the plane, I could see what looked like a cloud rising above the river. 
but it wasn't a cloud. It was the mist of Niagara Falls, but it was rising high into the sky. Because of the power of the falls, the mist just came up, and you could see it from 10,000 feet. Now, as you know, Niagara Falls is the most powerful waterfall in North America. Six million cubic feet of water fall over there per minute or more, depending on the season. And whether you know it or not, you are standing under the waterfall of God's kindness. And his love and his grace just keeps pouring over the edge on top of you, just plummeting down on top of you. And his kindness just keeps falling on you over and over and over again, relentless. It doesn't stop. It keeps pursuing you and pursuing you. But it doesn't just fall on you. It also rises high above you, just like Niagara Falls. See, it's both grace and glory. Grace is falling on you. Glory is rising above you, visible for everyone to see around you. See, that's the kindness that Solomon's talking about. That's the kindness that you wear around your neck. That's what you tie there so you don't forget it so that others can see it on display for everyone else. That's the love of God that you should write deep inside your heart because God first carved it into you. Do you see it? Are you starting to get the picture? Back to David for just a moment. Last story on David. Fast forward about 15 years from that cave incident when he made the decision not to kill King Saul. When he made the mistake of cutting off his robe, but he didn't kill him that day. And it's 15 years later, and both Saul and Jonathan are dead. They died in a battle. And David's been king for a while now. He's about 45 years old. And one day, he summons a man named Ziba. Ziba had been one of Saul's servants. And David asked him, is there anyone in Saul's family that's still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness? What a crazy thing to ask. This is the guy that tried to kill him for over 10 years. And he's asking, how can I show this guy's descendants kindness? And Ziba says, actually, yeah, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. His name is Mephibosheth. Easy for you to say. And Mephibosheth is crippled in both of his feet. So he's Jonathan's son. He's Dave, or Saul's grandson. And David extended an invitation for Mephibosheth to come see him. And Mephibosheth gets there, I'm sure, difficult because he's crippled in both feet. And, he's, and he bows low before King David, I'm sure in fear, because he knows what's happened in the past. And David said, don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. I'm, I want to show kindness to you. I'm going to give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And you're going to eat with me from now on. You're going to eat with me at the king's table. And from that day on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table. The Bible says, like one of the king's own sons. 
See, a couple months ago when I was preparing this message, I had this story in my heart. And I thought that we needed to be like David and extend the kindness and love to other people and invite them to our table, which is totally true. Completely true. But here's the thing. We can't offer a seat to anybody else until we've been seated at the table ourselves. And we can't be seated at the table until we're crippled and our hearts are broken because your father, the king, is looking for a heart that's crippled and wrecked and broken in pieces. Because that's when Jesus can really do something with you. That's when he can really work in your life. And he's inviting you to his table. The Father is inviting you to his table as a king and a priest. You are a king and a priest. And he says, I'm going to pour the kindness of the Father on you. I've come with loyalty and faithfulness around my neck, and I've carved love and kindness deep within my heart, and I'm going to give that to you. I'm inviting you to the table to receive. I hope you know I'm not talking about a salvation moment here. That's great. That's the first invitation to the table. I'm talking about realizing who you are and who your father is and the table that you're seated at. I'm talking about you being a son and a daughter of the most high God, realizing that kindness has been put around your neck, that love has been written and carved deep within your heart. But see, you can't give loyalty and love to someone else until you've experienced it for yourself. Until you've stood under the waterfall of God's grace and seen his glory rise above your life. Until you know who you are, a son and a daughter of the king. That's when you can write loyalty and love on your heart and you can tie it around your neck when you've experienced it for yourself, when you're sitting at the table. That's how he wants you to come to him. Like this, broken, wrecked, crippled. See, he's always leaned into you. And once we're broken, once our hearts are wrecked, once we're crippled, then... We have no choice but to lean into him. Stand up for just a moment. If you'll feel comfortable, just open up your hands. We're going to pray for a moment. This is really more about opening your heart than your hands. With every head bowed and eyes closed, think about your heart today. Where's it at? What's the condition of your heart? Maybe you haven't actually murdered someone or committed adultery or something that we would call a heinous crime, but I guarantee that every single one of us has cut off our share of someone else's robe. Where's that leading you? 
What small seed is infecting your heart? What weeds need to be pulled out by the roots? Like Saul, is it jealousy? Man, just take care of that. Pull that out by the roots. Is it anger? Jesus said that's like murder. Is it bitterness? Is it something in your past? Because listen, if you know Jesus, if you've turned to Him and you've repented and you're walking His way, He's paid for your past. His blood has covered that cost. He's purchased your past. So why in the world would you go back there? It's done. All you need to do is look forward now. Is it lust? Even if it's just in your heart, Jesus said that's like adultery. Is it pride? Are you seeking the stage instead of the Savior? Is it envy? Do you look at somebody else and their stuff, their material stuff that doesn't even matter or whatever, and and you're consumed with envy? Are you seated at the king's table? Are you experiencing the love and the loyalty of God? Are you crippled? Is your heart wrecked? Is it soft? Is it broken? Is it ready to respond to his voice? Because God is speaking right now in hearts. Your heart, the spirit is stirring. You know things that you need to do. There's a step that you need to take after Jesus. Something that is specific to your heart that you need to do from this message. Don't just walk out of here and not do anything after you've heard this. You're just going to let the weeds grow and they'll turn into, it'll wreck you in a bad way. Maybe you simply just need to look up this morning and realize that you've been standing under the waterfall of God's love and his grace, and his kindness, and just receive that. Like, you get that for you being you. You get that because you're made in the image of God. Receive it, look up, and just let it fall on your heart. Is loyalty and love written on your heart? Are you going to tie them around your neck? What do you need to do this morning? As we close out and as you walk out of here in the next few moments, mark this spot. Some of you need to have a conversation with someone. Someone that you've cut their robe off. Might be a family member, might be a friend. It might go way back. And you need to deal with it. And the Spirit's stirring you right now. Some of you need to call somebody. Some of you need to meet face to face with somebody. Not about their heart, about your heart. God will take care of their heart. You need to be worried about your heart. Where do your feet need to walk in obedience this morning as you head out of here? Jesus, we pray 
like Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, that our hearts would be flooded with light, your light, that you would expose every dark corner, that your spirit would show us exactly which steps to take as we move out of this place this morning. We want to be men and women with hearts after you that chase you because you first chased us, because you first pursued us. We want it to be said of us that we never let loyalty and kindness leave us because we, we tied them around our neck on display for us to see and others to see, and we wrote them deep on our heart because you first carved the initials there. And today, God, we choose to lean into you. We lean into your love and your loyalty. We feel the water of grace just falling on us. And we see the glory rising above us. We know that we are sons and we are daughters. We are kings and we are priests. And you've invited us to your table. But we have to go. We have to accept the invitation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for first writing love on our hearts. And all God's people said, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine up upon you and turn his face towards you. Give you peace. Have a great week. It's a sailor weekend next weekend, so just look up at the waterfall that's fallen on you. Lean into him because he first leaned into you. Amen? amen. Have a great week. We'll see you September 10th for a great new series called Tremble.